I'm curious to hear if you've taken any steps based on what you heard last Sunday. If you have time in the week ahead, call me or shoot me an email and let me know what you've discovered. Here's why I ask. I'm reading this week in the magazine Holiness Today, an article by a friend of ours, Scott Daniels, uh, whose books we have read together as a congregation on several occasions. And he asked some really interesting questions in his article. Among them is, how is the Sunday worship service shaping you? Each week we do certain things, things that are designed to result in changes or corrections to the ways in which the culture is actively trying to shape us. We read scripture together. This keeps us moving in the same direction, tuned into the voice of God through his Holy Spirit. We are corrected and guided as we listen to the words of the Bible applied by that same spirit. We sing in order to express our love to God and in order to be reminded what we believe is true. The melodies help the truth of the words to sink deeply into our minds and hearts. We pray together to keep ourselves connected to our God, this God who calls us and places us in motion, in action in the world around us. We pray the Lord's Prayer together to ask for forgiveness for our own sins and to promise forgiveness to those who sin against us, among other things. We take an offering to help us practice generosity and to remind us that all we have has been given to us by God. And so it's appropriate for us, not to mention commanded of us, to give to him. It also helps us when we take an offering to move us past the philosophy of the culture, which is materialism and possessions mean more than anything. We take communion together to remind ourselves that we are saved by the sacrifice of Christ and not by anything we've done on our own. He is the one who died for the sins of the whole world. In the communion meal, we understand that we are taking our place within the body of Christ, which was given for the whole world. In the same way that Christ died for us, we participate in the sacrament that recalls his death so that we can join him in his mission to the world. These and other things are counter-cultural actions. As the culture tries to shape us into its mold, these practices serve to straighten us out again, to keep us in proper form as children of God. The culture is aggressively trying to convince us of what is normal. And for the most part, they're very successful at doing this. I'm wondering why it's really important for me to have a shampoo that has a manly scent to it. 
I mean, I just can't use any shampoo. I can't use just any soap. I can't use just any body wash. I really must have a shampoo that has a manly scent to it. And, and what is a manly scent? If we're gonna to move towards the ridiculous, let's continue. Why do American women shave their legs? Don't answer that question out loud. You'll be in trouble for the rest of your life. Is there a medical or hygienic reason to do this? The truth is, advertisers have convinced us that it is necessary. Not everyone in the world embraces the practices of cultural America. But advertisers have, and here's the part that worries me. We just take it for granted. We just assume, we don't even think twice about those things. It's just, it's just what we do. And if others don't do the things that we know we do, we look at them and say, what's wrong with them? Didn't they get the memo? And, and we are just willing to accept all kinds of stuff that has come to us just by sheer repetition and peer pressure. And we don't even think about it. We are shaped and pressed into these kinds of things all the time by our culture. The culture is shaping us every single day. And so I think it's fair to ask ourselves, how are the exercises we practice in worship, how are the exercises that I've been, shape, I've been suggesting to you in recent days, how are they helping us resist or at least question the influence of the culture? How are they helping us participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How are they helping us improve our vision? How are they making it easier for us to fulfill our call as disciples? This passage came to my mind this week as I was thinking about these things. This is James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. On an Independence Day weekend, we think about freedom, but I need to tell you, freedom is found in one place, and that is in Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one that frees us from all the variety of things that would choose to shape us and enslave us and keep us from enjoying the life that he created us to enjoy. And so I wonder, are you applying the lessons of scripture, of worship, of discipleship, and of prayer to your life? Are you, any, are you in any danger of being accused of being a mirror gazer and then a forgetter? In recent days, the messages have had a very simple trajectory. 
I've been trying to say the same thing, say it loud and say it often. God is doing a new thing. Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We're instructed to look to the future, to start from where we are today and move to where God would like to take us. Like Caleb of the Old Testament, we need to make sure our evaluation of what is possible in the future is based on the character and promises of God, not on the circumstances that we can humanly see around us. If we can only imagine what we can see around us, then we can only accomplish what humans can do. But if we want a divine and supernatural future, it will be because we rest on the promise of, of God, we lift our eyes to him, and we look to him for the new thing that he wants to do, which we anticipate will be more than we can ask or imagine. We trust him to bring that. This new thing relies on faith in God. Last week, we talked a bit about finding the healing necessary so that we can be in a place of being able to look to God. You remember the illustration. When the snake's wrapped around your leg, it's awful hard to look anywhere but at the snake. But Moses in the wilderness taught us if you look up to God, healing comes from the Father. And we're gonna to have to have trust and faith to lift our eyes to him if we're gonna move forward. And that means attending to the healing that's necessary in our lives, to the recovery that is necessary in our lives, that comes by God's grace and by the different things we talked about last week in order to see the new thing that God is doing. And I want to add one fourth thing that will bookend this series of messages. While God may be doing a new thing all around us, his goals for individual Christians have not changed one bit. There's nothing new about his goals for us. They have always been the same. This is Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Listen carefully. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It was determined in advance that all who would come to Christ would necessarily be conformed to the image of Christ so that Christ can be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is God's eternal plan for the church. Hasn't changed a bit. He may bring new things to us. He may have new promises for us. He may take us into new ministries and new directions. He may usher in a new day, but he's gonna do it by the same method he has always used, conforming you and me to the image of his son, of Jesus, so that we can look like Jesus 
and that we will be brothers and sisters like Jesus. God is doing new things to his people. He is asking us to pick up different or new crosses. He may be asking us to rethink the things we are investing our time and resources in. He may have new targets in our community. He may want to change lots of things about us, but his plan for us as individuals has not changed. Jesus wants to be the oldest brother of a family of brothers and sisters who all bear the family resemblance. That's what verse 29 means, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You've seen those family pictures, right? The kids all look alike. They're not the same, but, but you can see it in the nose or you can see it in the eyes or, or you can see it in the, the shape of the face. All of God's kids don't look the same, but you can see it in the eyes. You can see it in the ears. You can see it in the hearts of those who serve Jesus. There's, there's a family resemblance there. And this is by God's design. This is the way Christ wants to shape us through his Holy Spirit. It's all about shaping. It's all about forming us. It's all about not being conformed to the image of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's all about a different kind of shaping process where God is the artist and we are the subjects, where he is the potter, we are the clay, and he's changing us to look more like members of his family so that the family resemblance becomes clearer and clearer and clearer each day that we live as his children. I think Philippians 4.4 paints this wonderful picture of what family members look like. You're familiar with this passage, one of my favorites. Rejoice in the Lord always. The king's kids are joyful. Let your gentleness be evident to all. We're a gentle crowd, not a loud and strident crowd, but a, a gentle crowd. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. We are trusting family. We, we rest in the arms of our Father. We take our concerns to Him. And the promise of the passage is that if we will do this, the peace of God will guard our hearts so we are folks whose lives are guarded by his peace and then Paul writes in verse 8 brothers and sisters you know what to think about think about what's true and noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about these things and whatever you've learned put that into practice he goes on to say and the God of peace will be with you. We're the people who find what is good and rejoice about it. How are you doing at being a person who perceives good and spreads the word about it? We're the people who refuse to worry. How have you been doing as a person who refuses to amplify worry but points people to faith in God. 
Do you make it easier for people around you to worry because you spread worry? Or do you make it easier for people to trust in God because you spread trust and faith? We are a people who take our concerns to God in prayer. Have you been helping people find their way to prayer when they express worry to you? I mean, we have choices around these attributes, right? We will either magnify things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, or excellent, or we will magnify other things. The truth of the matter is, we are called to gossip. Our gossip is about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We're supposed to be spreading the good news all the time. Our joy should be contagious. We should be so excited about what God is doing that we can't help but gossip about it. Not the other kind of gossip. Not the opposite of all those attributes. And all of those things, it's supposed to be But about these things, this is the stuff of our conversation because it is what is centered in our heart. And that's what erupts in our conversation always, what is there. So if you're gonna tell someone a story, it needs to pass this test. Is it true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent? If not, we really ought to consider shutting up. That's what Paul is saying. Because otherwise, we would be out of character with the family image. People would look at that photo and say, he was not having a good day, was he? he, he it, that kid doesn't look like he fits in that family. There, there's an inconsistency there. Because it's our goal to cooperate with the intentions of the Holy Spirit as he shapes us. That's why sometimes we have to say we're sorry. We messed up. We say, forgive me. I realize after I said that, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. And the minute you realize that, it's the Holy Spirit's putting that realization in your head, right? Because he's the one who's doing the shaping. And when the Holy Spirit says something to us, our natural response is always, yes, you're right because he always is and we never are in those conversations. And so we say yes and we take care of it. That's part of the grace of our loving father. He cares about the family image. He cares about the fact that we have the opportunity to reflect his glory. And if we will humble ourselves before him, if we will apologize when we don't get it right, and we will invite him to continue this shaping process in us, he will transform us. And we will be different. God is doing a new thing. Through the eyes of faith, it's possible to perceive it. We may need to lift our eyes from our own brokenness in order to see it. And that may take some help from others. And while God is bringing the new thing, alongside of that, he will still be working on us, shaping us, so that we can look more and more like him. That goal of his never changes. 
One of the reasons I love the song that we often sing at the end of services, uh, let it be said of us, is it gives us a target. It, it gives us a, a display of what the picture ought to look like. It reminds us through its words of, of who we ought to be. And we're gonna sing that song again in closing. And I would encourage you uh, to um, consider these words again this week and to ask the Holy Spirit um, is there any place where the family resemblance is not clear in me? Because if he responds well this little thing here you need to address that with him. I would remind you no matter what distance you have to walk to be conformed to the image of God's Son, no matter how much you feel that you are out of step with the Spirit, God promises to accompany you on the journey to restoration. That's His promise. You remember the introduction in Isaiah 43, don't you? Do not fear, I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. So we can go on this journey with full confidence that we're not doing it alone. That he's here to encourage us, to support us, to actually accomplish the transformation in us. If we will just listen. Cooperate with his grace. Look in the, in the mirror, remember what we saw, and act on it. And he will bring new life and a new day to us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to perceive the new thing that you're doing. Give us the confidence we need to step forward with boldness, knowing that you will provide all that we need. Show us which crosses to pick up, which steps to take, which investments to make. Lord, you show us. Conform us to the image of your Son, Father. This is our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing this song in closing? Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion, that with gladness we bore every cross we were given, that we fought the good fight, that we finished the course, knowing within us the power of the risen Lord. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. By mercy made holy, by the Spirit made strong. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. Till the 
likeness of Jesus be through us made known. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. Let it be said of us, we were marked by forgiveness, we were known by our love, and delighted in meekness, we were ruled by his peace, heeding unity's call, joined as one body that Christ would be seen by all. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. By mercy made holy, by the Spirit made strong. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. Till the likeness of Jesus be through us made known. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. And now may the glory of God be perfectly reflected in your faces so that all who see you will easily detect the family resemblance to the glory of God now and forever. Amen.